Welcome to Pebble in the Pond, a podcast that hopes to create a ripple of change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I'm the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year I have the pleasure of attending events to meet and connect with the most fascinating and accomplished people in mental health. Listen in as I go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand, from lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering to some listeners. If you feel you need assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. listeners and welcome to another episode of our podcast. Thanks for tuning in. When working with others in need, self-care is essential. To To prevent burnout, you need to be able to prioritize yourself and your own needs before effectively assisting others. Helen Gray is an experienced social worker who has experienced the impact of burnout firsthand. Helen moved to Australia in 2003, commencing work in Sydney with homeless and at risk youths. After several years, necessity brought Helen back into full-time work in the child and family support arena, resulting in collaborative work with the Australian Family and Community Services. Whilst loving elements of the management role, Helen experienced professional breakdown and burnout in 2015. And in June 2016, she was signed off as being unable to work in a social work role due to mental health concerns. This was the start of an ongoing journey of recovery and learning. Committed to empowering other social workers to be able to support their well-being and professional future, Helen is leading the way with specialised social social worker uh, self-care training in moral distress, vicarious trauma and burnout prevention. Listen into this week's episode as Helen talks about her personal experience with burnout, gain insight into the importance of self-care as a professional practice tool and learn the simple strategies for integrating self-care into your working day. Hello listeners, thanks very much for tuning in to today's episode and it gives me a privilege to uh, have Helen on our show today. Helen Gray, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having us, great to be here. No worries. So tell us a little bit about uh, your background. Obviously, uh, we sort of, um, well, I'm well aware of where you are now and we'll get into talking about that um, shortly, but it'd be great to hear about your background. Um, I understand you originated from UK and, and then went to Ireland, but tell us a little bit about your bit of a, your professional background. Sure, no problem. Well, it is a bit of a journey. So I guess if you had known me, say, 20 years ago, you'd have found me living in Belfast. I, as you say, grew up in the UK and did my um, degree in social policy and politics at the University of Newcastle and then moved over to Belfast in Northern Ireland. And about 20 years ago, I was a newly qualified social worker there. I had cut my teeth doing conflict resolution and community relations work with young people and worked in you know youth at risk, youth homelessness, and really around that sort of like um, youth at risk area. But then I'd gone back to do my social work qualification. And as a newly qualified social worker, like many of us, I was, you know, eager, committed, determined, and I was embarking on my first professional role, which was as a statutory child protection social worker um, in the Shankill in the heart of Belfast. So it was absolutely a baptism of, of fire. 
um, as anybody who has worked in the area of child protection would um, understand. And about three years into that, I, I decided that I wanted to take a career break. Um, now, looking back in hindsight, that is definitely one of my early warning signs. But at the time, I decided that I was going to embark on, you know, this trip of a lifetime, this once in a lifetime trip around the world and back. Wow. Now, needless to say, I am. Um, I didn't go back. <laughs> and I've been in Australia now for 17 years. I have worked primarily with um, families, youth at risk, and working around that idea of um, supporting, empowering, and, and working to enable youth and families to, to thrive. But five years ago, um, it all changed. And you would have found me five years ago one morning, just this burnt-out, crumbled wreck. Mm. Um, I found myself in a psychiatrist's office, you know, broken, sobbing, and really at a complete loss. Yeah. It felt that almost overnight I had gone from this social work manager to, you know, a mental health client. And in that moment, I was... I was done. Mm. I was completely done. Um, I felt that I had absolutely nothing left to give. And it was a process around that time. I spent about six months really, you know, really trying to get back into the work that I did and remembering why I loved my profession, remembering all the things that I loved about, you know, being a social worker and doing the work. But the day came when, you know, I really, I was at breaking point again and I realized that I had to make a decision. And I, at that point, I made a decision to put myself and my own well-being first. And I was signed off from my social work profession as, um, you know, unable to continue. The the medical, the clinical diagnosis was um, major depressive disorder, mm-hmm. but it was, uh, you know, it was burnout. There yeah. were indicators of vicarious trauma. There was, um, you know, compassion fatigue. There was a whole myriad of things that, you know, bring about that, you know, clinical um, diagnosis. But I decided at that point that it was, um, you know, it was about investing in me and starting to take, you know, action, make changes, and you know, and really making that decision to put myself first. Yeah. Um, and that's what's brought me to, to where I am today. I set up my own business to focus my energies on supporting other practitioners. Mm-hmm. Because during that time, during that, that journey for me, I, I realized, you know, I discovered a, the, a major problem, not just for me, but I guess permeating throughout our professions. You know, and that is that idea that, you know, as, you know, as practitioners, as support workers, as social workers, psychologists, whatever your, your caring professional nature is, and we're taught the skills of, you know, of empathy, we're taught the skills of compassion, we're taught the professional practice skills. But very few of us, especially in, in my era, very few of us were really taught um, how to turn those things inward. Mm. how to use those skills and to to value the importance of you know 
looking after ourselves. And you know, my journey is one where I learned the hard way. I, you know, I lost my practicing profession as such due to the burnout and the and the vicarious trauma. And um, but what has come from that um, is, you know, I think is is in its in its in itself a, a new journey for me because it, what's come from that is that realization that, you know, even though my professional trajectory has changed, you know, I retain that. You know, I retain that passion, that enthusiasm, that that eagerness that I that I had all those years ago. I retain that absolute belief in the work that we do. Um, but now my you know my privilege is to apply that and you know turn that towards the practitioners. So I you know I now am able to support practitioners um, with their you know, their self-care, their well-being, their understanding of the importance of themselves. You know, that idea that, you know, their well-being truly does matter. And, you know, without that, you know, without being able to start filling your own cup, you know, you really are not able to have sustainability in our professions. Yeah. That's a, I mean, it's a really good overview and a great segue into the conversation. And I think um, if I go back, um, Helen, if you don't mind, what made you want to get into social work in the first place? So you obviously went to study, you're in Northern Ireland um, and you wanted to study social work. Um, tell me about what, and particularly child protective services. Tell me about, is there something that was underlying? Is there something uh, that, that drove you or a passion? Is it something you've always wanted to do? Um, look, I'm the daughter of two teachers. Um, so my father was a head teacher, my mum was a teacher. And so that idea of the work you do being something that contributes mm. um, would, you know, was ingrained in me. But I, I was determined not to be a teacher. And to this day, I still have the utmost respect for teachers being able to, you know, be in the schools and be in the classrooms. So I think there was there was always a sense of, that my that whatever profession I chose would have some form of um, impact, some form of social contribution. Um, I maybe wasn't aware of that at the time, but being able to you know reflect on it in hindsight, I think that was a a key influencer. Mm. I actually ended up in Northern Ireland by chance initially. I got involved in my university years in a, a youth at risk a, a, a youth camp. So we went on, we went and took young kids from Northern Ireland, so children from the Protestant communities and the neighbouring Catholic communities, took them away on a, on a holiday um, and did, you know, conflict resolution, sort of like, you know, youth work practices with them. And that really ignited a, a passion for me in the grassroots type of work, really working directly with the individual. And I think that as that as that grew, and um, after a couple of years, I I made the decision that I wanted to move to Northern Ireland. I'd, you know, I I was I I, I was I fell in love with the the country and the and the place, but I also fell in love with the potential of of that time in Northern Ireland. It was I was very fortunate, and um, I was very fortunate that it was a you know a a, a time where you know peace was coming and it was it was a, a you know a good time in Northern Ireland but 
you know, I got involved in, I got involved in youth work, I got involved in community relations work, I, you know, did what many people starting out did, I, you know, I did the overnight shift in the, you know, in the, the youth hostel, um, and I started working for um, a, a charity out there in what was called a foyer, which was a French concept, a, a youth accommodation model that worked with bringing young people together in uh, an accommodation service where their education and training was fostered and supported. So that was really, you know, that was really my stepping stones. And, and as, the more I got involved, the more I realized that I needed to, you know, do my formal qualifications. You know, I loved the work that I was doing, but there was, you know, there was this, there was this another world that opened up with the social work qualifications and, and that specific things. And so I went back to, university and did my master's of social work and from there I came out and you know I still see it now in newly qualified practitioners coming out you know this idea that child protection is where the real work happens and I think that was you know that was a bit of my naivety in in the start you know you come out and and you just want to you know you just want to be in there and so yeah so it was it's something that as I say it was it was not a lifelong intention, but it was something that just grew from, you know, from the experiences and that desire within me that, you know, we have a, a capacity to contribute to the wider society and we have a capacity to, as individuals, to, you know, be a part in, in helping others thrive, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and I mean, the fact that you went into youth work um, and, and focusing on that, I mean, that's such a, it's so important, isn't it, for the youth and, and to uh, to try and help kids as they're coming through it because the lasting impact that can have mental ill health that can have on, on kids and the youth as they progress in adulthood can be really... Absolutely. And I think especially having those early years in Northern Ireland, which, you know, if any of you understand a bit about the politics of Northern Ireland, you'll know that it's it's a very traumatized, you know, historically and, and still ongoingly a traumatized society, and a very fractured society. So the, you know, the the challenges for the young people were already there. Alongside, you know, the challenges that we all have as young people, especially, you know, in those early teens and into the adolescence, you know, your transitions to independence, your all of those processes of finding your way in the world. So, you know, that really sparked it just it it did just spark a real a real passion for me and I, and I think that it's it's that that has you know that fostered that belief that there is always um there's always potential there's always possibility you know yeah. when you work with young people you can't help but but realize that so you know as I came over to to Australia a lot of my work again was um in a similar field you know bringing over some of those concepts from Northern Ireland and working you know, working in that field of, of really supporting young people in those transitions and then later going back into the family, you know, the family support arena and working with, you know, families as a whole. So, And was your, did you, did you have to get um, update qualifications when you came to Australia or was it recognised, um, your degree? No, I was very fortunate. Um, the, my degree, um, because I had an under, I had an undergraduate social policy and politics degree and then a two years master's of social work degree. So, that was automatically um, recognised over here, yeah. um, and I was again, you know, I'm, I'm a, 
I'm a firm believer that things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was over in Australia, I decided, as I say, it was a career break. I was, you know, I had a job to go back to. I had, a, you know, all of that plans. I was meant to be going via South America <laughs> on the way home. Yeah. But something, you know, something just struck a chord in me and I, I decided that I was going to stay. And almost at the same, within the same couple of weeks, um, a friend, ident- you know, showed me a, an advertisement that um, the Australian Bernardo's Recruitment Service at the time, as called, um, were looking to bring across social workers, qualified social workers from the UK. And, um, and I happened to, you know, find that ad, go and meet with them. And I ended up being their first. Um, UK social worker that they sponsored to work in Australia, wow. and that evolved into you know getting um, my you know nominated residency, and I say we've you know I'm married, I've got kids, we're you know Australian citizens now. So those things are you know as I say I, I'm a firm believer that that things happen for a reason. So mm-hmm. and I mean social workers is such an important part of the profession in the mental health space and and growing seems to be growing day by day, really. Um, unfortunately, because there's a lot of work out there that needs to be attended to. But, I mean, it's such a critical part uh, in the process, isn't it? It is. And I think that there is, you know, there's, there's quite a complexity in the relationship of social work within the mental health field because all social workers are working within the field of mental health mm. because, like you say, of, of the nature of, you know, the, the communities, the clients, the, the, the issues that we're dealing with, but that recognition of the growing specialism that social workers can have specifically targeted the mental health field, I think is, you know, is really valuable um, in, in both in terms of the, the social work profession, but also in terms of providing that diversity of response for individuals within that mental health field. Yeah. And the grassroots nature of it, you know, being out there in the community, building those relationships and, and you know, helping as much as they can. Yeah, and I think for me, um, you know, currently the way that, you know, the way that my work is taken, I, I have a different role to play. You know, I probably wouldn't have said that I was, you know, if somebody had said what was your, you know, what's your social work professional background, I wouldn't have given it, you know, said that it was a mental health background. You know, it was very much a family and childcare, a, a, a community, you know, a, you know, families and communities based background. Yeah. But given my own experiences, you know, as a professional as a, and as a person, my awareness of the the way that the that mental health, both mental wellness and mental, you know, ill health permeate society um, has has changed dramatically. And I think that it really does give a different insight into, you know, the the scope of mental health support that's needed, you know, throughout the you know, society. Yeah, well I'm definitely keen to get more of your thoughts on that. Um, you know, shortly and towards the end of the conversation. If we go back to your uh, I mean, what led you to your burnout uh, experience? Um, what, I mean, you mentioned something about putting yourself first uh, doesn't come natural to those who are to, to helpers, right? Those who help people. Uh, yeah. And look, that's something you experienced firsthand. Absolutely. And when I reflect back, 
it amazes me what I didn't know, what I didn't realize, what I couldn't see in myself. And I have to, that's what I have to keep reminding myself that at the time I didn't know what it was I was experiencing. Mm. You know, I think if I, if I'd have known what it was, I maybe would have been able to have, have taken action. But my burnout came, let's put it this way, my burnout was a result of the years and years of practice. And um, yes, there were, you know, more immediate triggers, but it was, it was an accumulation, I believe, of not learning and applying the skills of processing the emotional experiences, you know, the trauma, the, the things that you witness as a practitioner. So I was, you know, I was brought up in an era where, you know, you, you, you put your professional defense, you put your, you build your professional wall around you, and that's how you, you know, you, that's how you buffer off the impact of the work that you do. What I, the analogy that I give, you know, post my, my burnout and, and my breakout down and understanding that is that that wall was simply making me throw these issues, you know, behind me into this big skid. Mm. And when I, when I reached burnout, when I broke, that that skip just came flowing out. So I think that it's a combination of the awareness, the lack of awareness, mm. um, combined with this idea that you know I can't speak for everybody in the in the professions, but I, I do think permeates our sectors that you know that's sort of what we do. We you know we do the work, we we do the hard stuff, we we put up with it, we. You know, we keep going. We push through that idea, um, and and it comes. You know, it comes to the fore. You know, the day that I walked, the day that I walked into my GP surgery, you know, having left left work, he took one look at me. He gave me a form for the psychiatrist, and he said, "You know, I know with people like you, by the time you get here, it's almost too late." Wow. And that wasn't a you know, it wasn't giving up, but it was just that reality that he's like, no, you know, this is not a conversation for me to have. This is, yeah. you know, you're, you're at that point. So I do believe that I pushed through to the point of absolute breaking. Um, and that's part of my personality. I'm, you know, I'm a bit of an A-type personality. I, you know, I like to, to be doing things. I like to be good at what I do. I like to, you know, to be, I love being a, a manager. I love having a team. I love you know the challenge of all of that work. I, I loved my. I love. I still do love being a social worker. Um. But it was. But I, I literally felt myself break. Mm. And and that and at that point I was. I just had, genuinely just had nothing left. I couldn't take in, anymore. I couldn't. I couldn't. You know, for a long time. For, for the time leading up to it, I had. You know, I stopped listening to the news. I couldn't listen to the radio. I. You know, I, I wasn't able to absorb things, you know, more things than just manage what I had to manage. Um, but yeah, I think that there's, it's a combination. There, there were a couple of, you know, there were a couple of things in the months leading up in the workplace that were, you know, added stresses and additional triggers and things yeah. that came along. But 
it's accumulation of all of that. Well, that's what I was going to ask you next, actually, was, I mean, you must obviously talk to a lot of people in this field and that are going through um, similar experiences or, or, or ending up in a similar place um, with that mental ill health uh, from the social working field. But I mean, do things like pressure from the job, is it a cultural thing? Is it more internal dialogue, um, you know, in, internally with um, uh, negative uh, negative thought patterns? Is it more, uh, you know, that they're not prioritizing themselves? Is it the fact that they've got no time? Is it, What's the sort of, what are the things that, what are the causes that's leading to that? I think it's probably all of those things and more. Yeah. Um, you know, for, for every individual, then their experience is different. You know, and I think that, you know, that is that is, you know, there uniquely across the mental health spectrum because we are individuals, and nobody else sees the world or experiences the world the way we do. Yes. Um. But in terms of, in terms of, you know, themes and trends, I think it's it's a couple of those things. You know, there is an element of the pressure. Of the work that we do, and I, I, you know, I'm not going to deny that. I think yeah. that there is an element of the, you know, whether you're, you know, in a hospital, whether you're working for a statutory and not for profit, you know, whether you're in private practice, you know, a clinician, a manager, the demand to do more with less in an environment where need is, if not, you know, ever increasing, certainly ever more visible and and you know liable and um, then that is you know that is a, a a big impact but i think there's also you know a number of other things that come with that um there is that idea of you know believing that you have to keep going you know that you're the only one and i think that's something that for me it's really important to change the change the messaging you know this is not our lot this is not the expected outcome you know i have this saying you know your work should not make you ill yeah. full stop you know that's not that's not a that's not a not that's not a negotiable you know if you were working in a in a in a chemical factory you know you would be protected so the fumes didn't make you ill you know i i do believe that there is a a wider you know systemic yeah. issue around the you know the trauma and the exposure but it's not that you stop that we can't stop that it's it's also about then how do we how do we you know support Cope. to to manage that so you know that i think that's where the, the you know that comes in that you know that personal element you know how you choose how you know how aware you are of of your own needs of the changes i'm sure you have heard the you know the analogy of the slow boiling frog and you know, that idea that you know if you took if you took a frog into boiling water it's going to leap straight out but you know, when the water just heats up around you, you don't realise what's mm. happening. Um, so I think it's a, you know, I think it's a mix of those things, and and I think it's, I you know, I I spend time working with you know, and practice, you know, students, social work students who are you know going through the education process at the moment, and I think that there there is more awareness around the importance of self care and you know trauma-informed practice and, and you know trauma awareness for yourself yeah. but knowledge isn't knowledge isn't enough we have to be putting it into action and yeah. that's something that you know surprises me i you know 
you, you we might know you know as, as practitioners that's you know I say that's one of the things as practitioners we know this stuff you know we know this stuff we understand the impact of of stress and trauma and but putting into practice and valuing being comfortable valuing putting your own needs up there so that you respond to your own needs in order to be able to keep responding to others. Yeah. I think that's still a quite a significant mindset shift that we, you know, throughout the professions need to keep, you know, supporting and working on. Do, do you think, what do you think the training's like in the sector? Do you think that there's enough training and support around self-care um, in, in the sector? Look, I think there's more than there was. Yeah. Um, but again, when you, you know, this is, when you go to a training session, when you go to a workshop, you know, you learn some of the knowledge and you might learn some practice, you might learn some ideas, but it has to be implemented and reinforced and put in play. Um, you know, I think there is a, there is certainly more awareness. And there are, you know, there are pockets and there are, you know, teams and managers and organizations who are doing this really well. But there are also those areas where it's still a challenge to implement that on the day to day basis. You know, whether that's the, the organizational approach, whether that's, in, in, you know, managerial approach, whether that's your, you know, your personal mindset, you know, whether that's your, your priorities about the real work. And for me, I, I increasingly, you know, want to position self-care as a as a core professional practice because I think that, you know, we don't need mandatory reporting until the real work's done. We don't leave client confidentiality until we've done the real work. Why do we leave our own self-care? Why does that keep getting pushed down the down the you know the list of what to do? And um, and it's you know it's about how we how we perceive that and you know I I like the idea of you know it's not so much about having to you know it's not so much about people doing things significantly differently but it's about changing the meaning that they place on on why they why they need to do stuff. You know, and that idea that actually in order to be the best practitioner you can be, then you need to you need to be the best version of you you can be. You need to be present. You need to to be able to, you know, to to be fully able to, to do the work. You know, I, I worked until I broke. And probably my my biggest regret is the message that that gave my team. Mm. Because I, 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 I talk the talk, yeah. you know. I, I supported my team to, to you know, prioritize their family and look after themselves and take their breaks and do their things and stuff like that. But I certainly didn't lead by example. And by the way that I, you know, by, by how I how I work, you know, that was a powerful, you know, negative message. And and I think that, you know, I think that's a for me that's probably one of my my biggest, you know, regrets about it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a really good point. Uh, and I mean, you wouldn't be the only one that's uh, that's probably been <laughs> been doing that. Obviously, the way you're where you're in the you're in the day to day, you're doing the work, you're doing the work, and all of a sudden, you know, you just don't. The last thing you think about is is yourself and your own well being, and uh, and I'm sure, unfortunately, at the moment, there's probably similar a few people in a similar position where they are, you know, talking the talk but not walking the walk. So as absolutely, and 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 you know, when when pressure's on, we, we show up. You know that that's sort of yeah. part of the part of the job, but it, but it, but it, it can't be at practitioners individual expense mm. because the you know the loss of of talent and training and knowledge and skills to to all these individual professions and um, because people either burn out or you know realize that that that's on the cards and, and you know just just opt out and you know that we, we you know it's such a loss to to the professional practice so yeah, and so some of the the emotive feelings that that uh, I guess um, people that are in this space that are feeling the pressure or they're um, they're not prioritizing themselves or feeling under resourced and and some of the things that they're feeling is that guilt, that stress, that overwhelm. Is that right? And that and then that sort of triggers that negative thought patterns. Again, it's for different people. It'll be different experiences. You know, I. There's, there's, an, the, you know, in this area, there's, there's, you know, people talk about compassion fatigue. They talk about precarious trauma, talk about burnout. You know, I like to talk about the idea of moral distress within that as well. And I think, again, even just how we perceive those titles can impact how we, you know, the lens that we look at our experiences of. And mm. um, I struggled for a long time with the idea of compassion fatigue. You know, I, I didn't lose my my compassion. You know, but I, I, in a way, you sort of it, I'm quite quite affronted by that idea. But the reality was, I did because the day that I broke, I had I had nothing. I had nothing to give. So my capacity for compassion was was exhausted. Mm. So I think that people may experience different, you know, different journeys. And it's about being aware of, you know, what the potential, you know, signs and symptoms can be. And that's where the education and the awareness comes in. But also knowing and tuning into yourself and being able to to really get a handle on when it's, you know, when you can experience this and, you know, bounce back again. And when that is just, it's just that continual creep you know, further and further down the down the line of, of danger. Um, because, you know, the reality is the work we do is meant to is meant to impact us. You know, yeah. we can't work in, in the social work, in the mental health field, you know, with the you know, the experiences that we that we, you know, walk alongside people in and, and witness without being impacted. So it's not about not you know, it's not about removing the impact, but it's about removing the damage and the long-term damage that can come from that exposure. And I think that's where the awareness comes in. You know, I, as I say, yeah. I have many a warning sign, many a warning sign. And I knew something was wrong, 
but it, but I didn't have the framework. I didn't have the understanding, and I certainly didn't have the 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 structure or the support to get out of it in a healthy way. Yeah. So tell us about that support then. When you're feeling at rock bottom and burnout, I mean, did you feel like you got the help you needed at the point in time? I think my burnout was as much a surprise to the majority of other people as it was to me. Yeah. Because I was that type of person that would, you know, I, I got to the office door and, you know, without... <laughs> being too dramatic you know yeah. there was many a morning where i would be driving down in the car i would be you know in tears i would be shouting at myself i would be you know berating myself for you know whatever challenges were happening around me and i'd get to that work door and i'd you know put on my professional face and, and in i'd go and i and i you know do my do my job and hold that all together until i walk out that door and then i'd fall apart again so, you know, my husband knew that things were, were, were dire, but, you know, so I think that it's not about, it's not about saying people didn't see, people didn't do, I should, somebody should have. It's, it's, for me, it's not about that. Um, it's about a collective awareness and a collective responsibility that needs to grow. And a key part of that comes from the individual. So it's not about blaming the individual at all. But it is about knowing that without us as individuals going on that journey of awareness, being able to be open and honest and vulnerable enough with ourselves to know when things are not right and, you know, to take that action, to, to not believe that we are, you know, we are beyond, you know, we are invincible, you know, because if, if, if we don't let people in, then it's very hard for people to help. Yeah. Um, so I think I think there's a combination. I think that there's a lot of that individual work, but I also think that, you know, the, 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 there were people around me, there were, there were managers above me that, who were, you know, equally along that journey. And, you know, maybe maybe their experiences were slightly different, but so I do think that that's the pervasiveness of, you know, accepting the impact of our work can sometimes make it harder for people to 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 to, you know, to speak out or to you know to say I need to I need to do things differently because you know yeah. we'd all you know we'd all love to have less caseloads we'd all love to be able to you know have more supervision we'd all love all of these things the reality is it doesn't happen but my my insight from my experience is that then we have to that's why we have to put ourselves first yeah 100 percent. it's a good point you make and do you feel like because when you look at other industries um unrelated to mental health there's a fair bit of stigma around you know seeking help or other people knowing that you're getting help or that you need help uh, which we're all trying to eradicate. But, I mean, do you feel like at all, is there any, uh, I'm not talking about particular organisations, but as a sector, do you feel like there's any of that um, sort of self-stigma even that exists in the sector or do you think it's something that's not really applicable? I think there still is a little bit. 
you know, despite the, you know, I love the conversations, you know, the, the, the broadening of conversations about mental health and mental well-being and, you know, workplace health and well-being. And I think, you know, I think that, you know, I, you know it's, it's vitally necessary. But I also think that there isn't enough conversation in our field about the, you know, about the reality of, of the impact. And so there's an expectation that you just, that you, that you, you know, you, you, you manage it. And yeah. um, as I say, you know, I, I bring it back to that idea, you know, if you're working in a chemical plant, you're not going to, they're not, you're not going to be expected to do your work without, you know, your protective equipment and, and those things. The, you know, things like the, the environment within the management and the team, things like the, you know, the supervision, things like the, you know, the, the professional debriefing, things like access to resources, appropriate resources. Yeah. And also, you know, specialist resources. Mm. It's, it's not helpful when a practitioner who, who is going through stuff, you know, gets a, a 20 minute, you know, conversation with a, you know, your employee assistance person who just says, you know, do this, do this. Because I think that that's where, I think, you know, I think there needs to be that, that recognition of the, of the impact. And, and, and the more we can say, yeah, this is meant to, this is meant to impact you. How do we, how do we support you to, to, to thrive despite that? You know, how do we support you to, to keep going? How do we, how do we support our practitioners as a team to manage this? You know, currently, you know, with, with the current COVID stuff, I mean, I think, you know, this is going to be a critical issue across a lot of the, you know, a lot of the health and, and social sector because, you know, the, the visible people, you know, the, the first responders, the visible, you know, the, 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 the health workers, you know, people are aware of that, but, you know, the impact of the impact of you know this global pandemic on the mental health and well-being of society is is un, is uncharted territory mm. and you know <laughs> there's a i was reading it the other day there was a un sort of like briefing paper and it was you know it, it was acknowledging that a lot of the mental health needs are going to be unmet and and that's in a large part in due to the fact that Prior to this pandemic, there was significant unmet need, you know, and I think that for me, for practitioners, it's always been hard, you know, there's always a lot of that stuff, you know, the challenges and the impact of the work and, you know, in the years ahead, it's only going to be more important that we open up this conversation, we change the, you know, we change the rhetoric and the internal narrative about self-care and we really you know position it very strongly as a you know as a as a core professional competence because in order to do the work we do we have to stay well in order to do the work we do we have to be able to you know be in be in a position to to see the client's in their, you know, in their full circumstances, and not be impacted by, you know, the challenges that we're facing. So, yeah, I just, I, I think that there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of, 
growth and there are a lot of you know a lot of good a lot of good intentions but I think there's also an awful lot of more work that needs to to be done mm. yeah no that's uh it's a very good point and I guess if we now go to more the prevention side of things, like what does a healthy, what does a a, a workplace culture within social work, um, what does it look like? So what, what sort of things would we see? What sort of things should people be doing to have that awareness uh, and be able to have that long-term successful career? That's, you know, that's the, that's the golden question. Um, there are practitioners, you know, you, and you will know this, and, and you know, across different professions, there are practitioners that seem to still thrive despite everything, and there's, and there's something there that, you know, that we can all learn from. But I think, I think it's a, there needs to be a shared acknowledgement about, you know, risk and responsibility across you know within teams and within organizations but i also think that 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 means that there has to be um a culture and practices of you know naming supporting you know exploring processing you know dealing with the 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 work as well as doing the work and you know there's a lot of when, when you think of self-care, it's like, oh, I've got to eat right, sleep right, exercise right. You know, yeah. Those things are vital. And and whilst you might be like, yeah, that's not going to change my trauma, these, all these elements are vital because we need to be able to have this this capacity then to to really be in our best in our best form to to work through the extra challenges. Um, so I think I think you know. A healthy workplace is one where there's acknowledgement, there's support, and there is an environment where it's safe to both thrive and and struggle, and know that that's a continuum. And mm. um, know that all of us will have moments when we're, we're struggle, moments when we're when we're challenged. And and the the nourishment of the environment of the colleagues of the the profession of the the education of the you know the external support to bring us support us to get back to that to that equilibrium get back to that balance is what's what's important. So you know we can't we can't do the work without without. You know the risk, the 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 challenge, the the exposure, the trauma. That's that's the nature of it. But it's how we, it's how we, you know, support each other through. And there's a big step of, you know, there's a big element of, you know, just emotional intelligence of the individual practitioners, yeah. that awareness of self and others. That, you know, that's critical. Yeah, and you you talk about the importance of like self assessment or even just to self-assess like to, to check how you're going checking in with yourself uh that awareness is part of um what you think is that is that positive framework towards having a a um a, a good successful career i think it is because i think that there's a the importance of knowing 
what it what your experience is like when you're driving what your experience is like when you're facing a new exciting challenge what is what does it feel like in your body and in your mind when you're going into a situation of of risk and uncertainty what does it feel like when you're trying to process what is your emotional experience and what is the client's and how do you sit with that mm. by by having a sense of awareness around that then you've got a you've got that you know that that sounding board you've got that sort of like that continuing to know how to try and bring it back and um, you know I can only talk from personal experience but for me I didn't know how far I had shifted and mm. um, you know I, I do believe that there was a an uh, a, you know quite strong element of, of like vicarious trauma in my in my mindset and in my experience around the burnout like just not realizing how far my sense of norms had shifted from you know the day to day and not realizing you know the extent of how far things have got you know the morning that i the morning that i had my that i that i broke you know well, that was like any other morning it wasn't do you know what I, mean? I, I, I didn't think it was coming i had no concept that this could that that could be where i'd end up mm. no concept at all and maybe that you know maybe i i hadn't looked for that information maybe i hadn't you know explored those ideas but you know i've been i've been in the profession you know qualified and unqualified for 20 years for it to be such a surprise still surprises me to you know to this day yeah well, it, it just goes to show it can sneak up, can't it? Um, mm. If you like, you mentioned before with the with the frog in the water. Um, so, so we're looking at more solutions and tools for uh, you know to have a healthy career um, in this sector. I mean, we're looking at you, you talk about sustainable caring. What what do you mean by that? For me, the idea of professional sustainability is a capacity to keep doing the work you love and keep striving in that area comes down to being able to know and do and have access to the things that you need to to keep you bouncing back and um, to be in it for the long haul the you know we all start out <laughs> we all start out going to change the world and you know and and that you know the reality of practice you know brings a bit of brings a bit of you know balance into that but you know that i that idea of being able to have access to you know supervision professional support to to, to sound off where you're at with things because Professional sustainability needs you to know that you you know that there's always going to be another you know thing. There's always going to be another case. There's always going to be another family. That your job is your your job is to be in the work. And so, in order to do that, we have to keep nourishing ourselves to be in the work. Mm. Um, and I and I just think I think. You know, there's a complexity around professional sustainability because I think it's different for for everybody. Yeah. 
you know some people that might be about you know having diversity in their practice you know changing you know their their specialism areas a little bit from you know every couple of years for some people it might be about you know the the level of autonomy and capacity they have over what they do for others it might be about you know being able to to keep that continual learning and and vibrancy and you know that commitment to knowing that there's there's you know there's always new ways and new things to do things it's you know for others it's that you know, that sense of connection and that capacity to have, you know, that belief that, you know, that shared belief of, of you know, we're, as practitioners, we're, we're in here, we're in this together. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a range of things. So I, for me, professional sustainability is about trying to understand what you need to enable you to keep thriving. And everybody's definition of that is going to be different. Everybody's definition of thriving, everybody's definition of, professional longevity you know so for some people you know that that's being in the profession until they're 65 70 for other people there's you know there's a time limit on that and that's an okay thing so it's it's very much an individual thing but it comes down to knowing that it's okay to explore the reality and knowing that it is okay to understand your boundaries and what you need and you know and have that met mm. because ultimately you know i would rather be supporting my practitioners than losing them <laughs> yeah no 100 percent, and it needs to happen more often you know we need to see that proactive approach um rather than just sort of doing the day-to-day -day, which is so easy to do uh but oh, you know, absolutely but to stick and it yeah sorry you go no no i was just gonna say that. I, I think you know it would be a, it would be fantastic if i could say oh look you know i found the magic sauce you know there's mm. here's the answer yeah. um because you know for a while i was looking for that i was like okay what what, what did i what did i miss what what's the thing that i you know what what's the one thing what's the thing that is going to make this click and it's going to be all good and it there isn't one you know that's <laughs> that's the you know, that's the reality of this there, there isn't a magic answer there isn't something that makes it work it is the the small things that we do consistently that make the difference yeah and that's where i think it's that's where sometimes it can be hard because that's why they get pushed out of the way because as an individual as an individual few minutes of activity it doesn't seem to merit on the importance of you know that report to court that conversation with a client that you know any of that stuff it, do, it just doesn't you know when you look at it as individual activities it doesn't hold up but when you understand that it is the essential nature of those small things done consistently and with awareness and intention that is what helps them mm. to thrive yeah well and that makes sense but i also with your with the rest of your framework that you have because i know you have that you've established the program because you care um mm -hmm. and uh but i mean as key components of that i mean they all seem to be things that i mean they're along the lines that i mean they're ingredients that 
that when put together, like you said, small things consistently done, um, yep. you know, daily habits and strategies, self-assessments, emotional regulation, protective factors, seeking help yep. even. Um, Absolutely. That's probably a really big one, right? Yeah. And I think these are, these are all, you know, the title Because You Care is, is why I do it. I do it. I, you know, I, I love doing the work that I do now and I do it because you guys, because the practitioners out there really care and that's, and that's why we need to invest in our practitioners. But it's, I, I think it's more than just, you know, for me personally, you know, I think, you know, training programs, awareness, I, I love running, you know, workplace training or like one day events and stuff. I love that because, you know, there's, there's a, there's a space for knowledge and learning. But I also think that there is, that there is another level which is about that you know that self-exploration that you know going on that journey that's really starting to to not just know but become aware and and start to to apply and integrate it into what we do and and that's why the for me the you know the idea of the the self-paced because you care program was so that people could just start working through some of that stuff have some framework, have some tools to be able to to start that exploration process, and then and you know I back it up now with a with a coaching program where that you know it's that one on one support to enable people to really explore this because you know we don't want to get to the point where we need acute mental health services. <laughs> That's not the plan. You know the plan is that we that we have the the support and the awareness you know to nurture and nourish ourselves as, as we're going along and um and it's going to be as i say it's, it's going to be different for everybody and yeah. there is no there is no one size fits all and it you know it's like everything it's, you know people's own life experience what they've brought with them you know what's going on around them we, we can't just isolate our work from the rest of our lives you know and i think that's where the pandemic at the moment has such an impact. We actually can't just, you know, focus on the you know the professional implications of this because we're living it. Um, you also mentioned Helen the uh, essential oils. Uh, tell us, mm-hmm. tell us a, just a little bit of a quick overview about the importance and and the, using oils as a tool to also help keep your regulations, your emotional regulation in check. Yeah, I I love the the power and the support that comes from essential oils. I I put my hand up, I was I was complete um you know, I, I had no understanding, I had no awareness of them. I was actually introduced to them um, you know, almost immediately following my 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 burnout experience. And they became for me a really tangible tool to use to support those processes. So when I talk about this process, I mean to support the processes of awareness, to support the process of emotional regulation, to support sitting with, you know, grief or trauma, to support managing, you know, my my physical well-being. And so the more that I learned about essential oils, the more that I realised, you know, like with like with anything, when you when you know when you, you've got the good stuff, but the more that I realised that it can actually be a very um, a very empowering resource to have because you know anybody can access them they are you know there's something that you can have 
you know, you can have with you in the office, in the car, you know, whatever you're doing. And it's not that it's, you know, it's not that the essential oils are going to take things away. It's not that they're not going to, you know, <laughs> it's not a, not, a, not a magic potion. But what they do do is, you know, work with your body and enable you to, to sit with and, and to really process through, you know, what we experience in, in life. And so, you know, I, I, I encourage people to, to look at what works for them, to look at what, you know, what little things you can add, what, what else you can do. You know, we, I'm sure many of us have had the experience, you know, you, you embark on a, you know, I'm going on a fitness regime, I'm going on this, and you go full hog and within a couple of weeks it's gone. You know, that's not the, that's not the way to professional sustainability. Professional sustainability is about, you know, adding one more thing, you know, tweaking something there, becoming more aware about something here and really starting that process of um, allowing yourself to to be able, you know, giving yourself permission to to get what you need to keep doing what you want to do. And yeah, so essential oils were, they were, a, they were a, a way for me to realise that there was a different way of helping, mm-hmm. you know, I'd, I'd been a social worker in the in the system for a long time, and it was hard for me to envisage how I could play a role supporting people if I wasn't doing what I did. And um, so, the essential oils opened up my eyes to to the range of modalities. They were, I guess, they were for me. They were a gateway into the whole range of modalities that that can support, you know, well being. Um, and they're also, yeah, you know, they're also an amazing tool. They are fully integrated into into my life. It's they're my first go-to. You know, my my oils and my breath are my, you know, my two key resources. And thankfully, I'm never without my breath, and very rarely without my oils. So. <laughs> oh, that's really. What sort of breathing do you do? Like a Wim Hof breathing method, or do you do a box yeah. box breathing? What sort of breathing? Yep, very simple stuff. Um, but it's you know, it's that idea of knowing that you can. Within within moments, you can use your breath to um, change your physiology, change how you're you're, you're responding. So, mm-hmm. you know, the long exhale for the calming. You know, such a simple practice of just you know taking a breath in and you know focusing on an exhale for double the length of your inhale to just start that you know that calming and activating that parasympathetic nervous system. You know sparking yourself up you know you've got to, you've got to get ready for something you know doing a bit of that quick sort of like you know you know breath of dog sort of like the, the quick inhales they, they, those ways are really powerful ways of just you know using the resource and, and for me i think it's you know if people if people don't know where to start then starting with your breath is is you know the perfect place you know whenever you Whenever something, you know, whenever the sensation, whenever something is there, they're taking you, just using the moment to pause and just breathe, you know, can help us have those those moments of um, you know, those moments of recovery loops, those those, you know, momentary t- moments where we just, you know, allow ourselves a pause and can be really powerful um, as a as a sustainable self care technique, you know, on lots of levels, but as a simple, you know, on a, on a very simple level. And yeah. um, just allowing yourself to pause and breathe um, is a great starting point. That's a great tip. Uh, and, you know, whilst there are, there are some things, obviously, I think you mentioned it earlier on in the conversation, Helen, where 
it's sometimes it's not a matter of not doing what you don't know, but rather in fact not doing what you do know, not yep. applying yep. what you already know. And too many of us I, are guilty of that. Absolutely. So I, 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 I'm, I'm a firm believer that awareness is critical, mm. but knowledge isn't enough. Mm-hmm. We actually have to apply it. We have to put it into practice. Uh, you know, it, it mar- as I say, it marvels me to realise that whilst I knew, you know, knew a lot around you know, well-being and, and these ideas that I, I I wasn't putting into practice, even the basics. Mm. And sometimes the more the more things get challenging, the easier it is to think that doing the small things isn't going to make the, make a difference. So we we stop even doing the small things. Yeah. And and that I think is is you know is part of it. It's knowing that. Do, putting things into practice is going to make a difference. Yes. Because, as I say, it's the accumulation of the things that we do that help, help us stay well. Because not only is it the things that we do, but in doing that, it's the awareness of when we need something else. And that's what comes back to, as you say, that knowing that when we need to get more help. You know, there are times that, that actually just doing you know self-care practices is not enough you do need to get help you know i needed professional psychological um intervention i needed medication i needed support i had pushed myself beyond the you know beyond my coping capacity um and my my hope through the work that i do is that people don't get to where i got to yeah because you know like I say, by raising awareness, by being part of the conversation, by by normalising it. You know, I I, I was I, I don't know how it landed, but I was very clear when I finally left my work that I put the message out there to everybody to explain that I had left because because of um experiencing, you know, a breakdown, because of burnout, because of the impact of, of that had happened to me. Because it was one of the. It was a. It was a small thing that I could do to say it happened to me. If it's happening to you, it, you, you know, do something about it because it happened to me. And and that's that. You know, that idea for me is that you know I, I would love that the more that we, the more we focus on professional practice. You know, the more we focus on professional practitioners' well-being the more we're actually doing, you know, and supporting everybody because, you know, by supporting, you know, helping the helper, it's, it's, it's permeating out there. Exactly. You know, we talked at the start that, you know, the title of, of the podcast, you know, Pebbles in the Pond, yeah. this is what it's about. If, if, if the awareness can ripple out, if the, if the impact can start to, to be felt, then, you know, then we, then we, you know, we do make differences, and, and we all live and learn. That's that's part of what happens, you know. My my philosophy now is very much is the idea that you know I want to be living well, and I want to be working well, and I want that for all my fellow practitioners, and it is possible. 
It's a, it's a great vision and it's a, definitely in something that's inspiring uh, and I can tell it's something you're very passionate about. Helen, tell us as we round towards the end of the conversation, what, what does the future hold for you? What, what's, what's your plan moving forward to try and reach more people, to get out to more workplaces? Yeah, look, yeah so much so. I, am, I found, my, I found my, my passion for, for my foreseeable future and I very much love the learning and the knowledge and the awareness around this whole field about how we can, you know, support ourselves and how we can support fellow practitioners. You know, my focus of my business is on, I guess, threefold. It's on um, being part of the conversation, raising that awareness by being, you know, by being the voice. And um, it's about being part of the training, you know, so being in, in workplaces and, you know, Allow, letting people know that there's a there's, this is a way of looking at things, and then it's also about that that direct work with practitioners and providing that, um, both online and you know through one-on-one coaching and group coaching, that support to to really explore and and you know and invest in themselves, so that they can keep investing in other people. And yeah, like I say, you know, making making the letting the, the message get out there and supporting, you know, individuals, like, you know, one at a time, teams at a time to actually, um, you know, make the small changes and embrace the, you know, the, the mindset and the awareness that will hopefully help them thrive doing what they love. Yeah, well, that sounds, I mean, it certainly sounds like something that uh, you are very passionate about and you can tell uh, and you keep up the great work because I think you're definitely – you know, a, a very uh, a renowned leader in this space. Uh, and, Thank you. And it's something that I've been very fortunate to be able to have this conversation with you, Helen. Other than the, um, of course, our first uh, expo, uh, online <laughs> virtual expo next week, where we, we do have over 500 people registered for it already, which is really great. But tell us, um, tell us how else can people get in touch with you? Um, so look, through my website, which is helengray.com.au, so G-R-A-Y, people can link in there and access some of the, the information. There's a couple of, you know, some free resources, some of my thoughts and some, some links there. And then there's also a couple of different, um, you know, ways of working directly with me. So as I say, that opportunity for me to come in and work with um, teams and organizations is, is one way. And um, there is the online learning program, the Because You Care, which is a, a self-directed, you know, you log in, there's um, four, four modules, 16 units of learning, self-paced learning, and, and you can, you know, use that as a way of kickstarting your own exploration and your journey. And then the, I guess, the most um, you know, dynamic element is that idea of the, of the, of the coaching, the one-on-one coaching. So in July, I'm launching a... Um, a program called Reignite, which is, you know, one-on-one coaching based around the, the concept of, you know, reigniting you, you know, reigniting that, you know, that flame, that desire, that passion, reigniting the calm, the balance, whatever it is that, you know, you need to do. And then, and it works through a model of, of one-on-one coaching. Again, you know, in this current age, we're very fortunate that a lot of that can happen either through Zoom or through the phone. So it can happen to, with people wherever they are. But also then supplementing that coaching with, you know, access to resources and tools and knowledge. So it really is about providing a, a space for individuals to to explore their reality, 
to, you know, reignite their, their dream and their passion and then, you know, start that process of, of activating changes and building for a sustainable professional future. Well, it all makes sense. And, uh, and again, thanks very much, Helen, for a great insightful uh, conversation and, and you're truly an example of someone who's following their passion uh, and walking the walk. And uh, I encourage anyone that wants to learn more about this uh, and look after making, sorry, and that are interested in making self-care a priority uh, in their workplace or in their own lives to get in touch with Helen. Um, but Helen, thanks very much for the conversation. No, thank you very much. And I just, I encourage everybody to just remember that you are worthy. Your your well-being absolutely does matter. And, you know, it's only by, you know, filling your own cup first that you're going to thrive. So thank you. And then before we get an opportunity to meet again, thank you very much. Thanks, Helen. Appreciate it. Take care. Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au. And be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.